1: Thank you so much for joining me for this very special bonus episode of the Adventure Games Podcast. This year is the 30-year anniversary of Revolution Software, so to celebrate this milestone and the imminent release of Beyond the Steel Sky for PC, I spoke to a number of people who played a major role in the success of Revolution over the last 30 years. So, first up, in its first interview this week... I spoke with none other than the co-founder of Revolution himself, Tony Warriner. He takes us on a journey over the last 30 years. He speaks about the objectives that Revolution had when they first started. He then goes behind the scenes on all the major games that they released, and he has some fascinating anecdotes about their development. And so he also spoke about things like the, why they made their later games in 3D. He talks about how Revolution survived during the difficult period of uh, the early 2000s. He spoke about what it was like working on the Kickstarter, uh, what have happened to that Broken Sword movie, and much, much more. So without further ado, here is a trailer for the very first Broken Sword game, which really, really put Revolution on the map. Followed by my interview with Tony Warner, so please enjoy.
2: From the makers of the highly acclaimed Lure of the Temptress and beneath a steel sky comes a brand new adventure of epic proportions. Broken Sword, the Shadow of the Templars. An innocent vacation in Paris unwittingly whisks young American George Stobbart away on a mysterious and compelling escapade which could change the fate of man. As George, you are thrown into the arms of intrigue as you uncover a sinister collusion which could turn the world upside down embark upon a trailblazing exploration across Europe and the Middle East where the people you meet weave riddles around you. Uncover their infernal secrets. Reveal their monstrous plan. Call upon your deepest strength and staunch resolve to challenge these black hearts to betray the unspeakable truth. This is Clandestine. This is Arcane. This is Broken Sword: The Shadow of the Templars.
1: I'm delighted to be joined by Tony Warner, the co-founder of Revolution Software, and I believe you're also at another company now called Shifty Eye Games, which uh, I'll be looking forward. Well, I'll be looking forward to hearing what you're working on now as well. But hello, Tony, how are you?
3: I'm okay, thank you. Thanks for having me on.
1: No, thank you for joining me. I've been, uh, look, I've been wanting to speak to you since I've mainly started because, as anybody who listens to this podcast knows, I, and as I was just told you before recording, Broken Sword One was my first adventure game and remains my favorite adventure game. So it really is an honor to have you here, who is one of the creators of the game. So I'm not just yep. saying that, by the way. I don't say this to everybody. <laughs> 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 no your game was my favorite but no G- genuinely absolutely loved the broken sword series and beneath the steel sky as well it's um you know they are true classics as well so thank you so much for uh joining me but i was wanting to to ask um first of all if you could introduce yourself and just say um well first of all how did you start w- what games did you play growing up yourself how did you get involved with uh the adventure genre well i mean i i played
3: the lot- I got into computers uh, when they first came out, really, sort of early '80s. You know, ZX81 and Spectrum, and um, I had a very obscure computer called the Computers Links, which was, um, you know, they, did, they made about six thousand of them and went bust. But uh, I, I had one of those things first, and uh, it, it was very good for learning to program on. So uh, that's that's where I that's where I got started really in, in programming. But you know, the games, we, you know, my friends, we all had a different eight-bit um, machine. And uh, we just we just bought all of the games or, or, or copied the games as the people did in those days a lot as well with cassettes and um, and, and they handed these things around. And uh, so you got to you got to see a lot of games and a lot of different genres. And, uh, you know, I, I, I remember now back back in the 80s and, and the 90s as well. You know, the adventure genre itself was much stronger than it is now. So you couldn't really you couldn't really avoid it you know it was everywhere and it started off with text adventures which were absolutely brilliant um there was a company called level nine who did uh, a whole bunch of these things and they put them on every single 8-bit machine there was and uh they were just brilliant you know that even now they would stand up in turn term, in terms of complexity and, and richness of content you know Uh, And they started out as text. And then later on, that genre evolved into what they call graphical adventures, where where some of the scenes would have a a very crude graphical uh, representation on screen. And that grew into what people like um, Sierra were doing when when they put a character on the screen and it turned into point and click and you walked around. Essentially, it was the same thing, but, um, um, you know, it was just a progression of that genre. And in a way, that's where it stopped. I suppose, in the sort of mid-90s, late-90s. But, uh, yeah, that's 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 where I got going with adventures. And they, they seemed to have more more to them. You know, they, they were quite thoughtful and uh, and deep as well. You know, you could play a game of Galaxians or you could play Adventure Quest or Colossal Cave, you know, and, and it was a world, world of difference.
1: Yeah, I mean, I haven't played too many text adventures, but from ones that I have played, it seems like they were nearly the first, at least it felt like open world uh, game because you could, near you could feel like you could type anything and nearly go anywhere from what I what I've played. It feels like wow the limits are my imagination. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah.
3: And that, because the, because they were text, they, they mm, were, the content was cheap. You know, if you right, you know, you could say pull a lever and a door open. Well, you know, in a, in a Broken Sword game, someone has to draw that.
1: <laughs> right <laughs>
3: you, you got to draw you got to draw george and you got to draw the lever and you got to you got to draw you got to draw each frame of him pulling the lever and then you got to draw each frame of the door opening and whatever happens after that and you know so you have to kind of think about it like, carefully and cost it up and see how long it's going to take you know and if it, is it really worth it uh you know, is it relevant and does it add anything in an adventure game you just you just you know, you, by the time we I've been talking about it, you could have implemented it, you know, and onto the next puzzle. So uh, you know, they had a lot in them, these games.
1: Yeah, I suppose they had that freedom uh that you could again just create anything as well with the tax adventure. And um actually they're they're still around, there's still a community. There was um someone yeah. who I spoke to uh, just recently, and he's he's involved. He has something called Adventure On, which uh, he uses that to teach kids. He's in Japan as an English teacher, and he uses that to teach kids how to create their own text adventures and how to, you know, reading and comprehension skills as well. Which I think is great. I mean, I would have loved to have you know played these games as um when as a kid as well. I think that would have really helped as well. But he he said as well, for him, there's a difference between text adventure and interactive fiction, and that there's uh, this debate in the community. Um, have you heard about this debate yourself or anything, or or just?
3: <laughs> I haven't actually. No.
1: I mean, I can't remember exactly. I think he said something like, for him, text adventure. Now he said that he's in a minority, but he said something like, for him, text adventure are more like puzzle related, and then interactive, or one or the other, and interactive fiction is more like with a story or something now i think i'm going down a rabbit hole and I, I i i'm not by no means an expert on this myself but it's quite an interesting um discussion but they're still around you know there's still a i mean obviously not as much as the war back in the 80s and even 90s but there's are still avid fans around uh, all yeah. text adventures
3: yeah yeah i mean occasionally i look at them and i think hmm, I, I wonder if this thing's ripe for a kind of a, a rebirth you know but then you mm. kind of think about it and you go uh i don't know are people are people going to have the patience to type this stuff out and guess the commands because they were quite hard games as well you know you often had to had to um you know you'd be you'd be stuck for ages trying to trying to work out the terminology that the designs that designers had used and, and you kind of conclude that maybe the genre moved on a little bit because because it was a bit too hardcore you know mm. so I, I kind of look at it and I go you know that's interesting is there anything there you know and then you kind of you know your thought kind of goes well maybe you make it a bit easier with a visual menu and, you, and pretty soon you end up with where, where what it became which was like monkey island if you remember it had a little panel of verbs on the bottom of the screen um you know pull and walk and talk and push and open and close and all those all those verbs and that's that's a that's a kind of hangover from when it was a text adventure, you know, uh, you, you can see the lineage of the genre in, in, in those early, early um, sort of um, LucasArts games. And, uh, you know, once you start thinking, well, that's the way you would do it, then you, then you realize you're just going back over what, what, the path that the genre already took. So there's actually not that much point in going right back, back to the beginning, I suspect.
1: Right. Yeah. Now there's, you know, I feel like developers need to innovate as well, um, which is always what the, like Sierra and uh, LucasArts and Revolution have been doing. You know, with each game, that you guys were innovating after each game as well. That you know, the text adventure became graphic adventures, and then point and click, and um, and that's what thing that I love about the genre. That even now, there's so many different types of games within the you know adventure community. You know, we have Telltale games, we had Life is Strange, and then we had other types we would missed which i know might be divisive but still um, a lot of people love it so um um so then uh how did you yourself get involved in making games because i presume you were were you making games before you founded revolution
3: yeah well i was um you know i i I was pretty obsessed with these these 8-bit machines as a lot of kids were back then and um you know, we we found a couple of BBC micros at school, and we were programming those in lunch hours and stuff. And uh, it just, you know, there was no. You got to remember, there was no internet in those days, so there's nothing. There's nothing <laughs> else to do, really. You could you could either load a game up on a cassette and play it, or you could you you could write a program. You know, those are the things you could do with a computer. So it was a very natural step to start start writing games, really, because games were just. I mean, they blew our minds, really, because there was just nothing like that before. So make your own game was was a logical step to take, you know, and you start off doing something very simple, and and then you, you sort of expand from there, you know. Right,
1: yeah, and so then you got in, involved at in that, and uh, then in was, was it, I believe 1989 or 1990 that you then co-founded Revolution. Um, I just wanted to know then how did you how did you go about. Uh, founding this company. So, you know, what were the the objectives then? What did you guys want to apart from make adventure games? Because at the time, you know, to Sierra and LucasArts were at their, uh, particularly Sierra at their height. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, how did how did you get involved in co-founding the company? And what were the objectives, basically? <laughs>
3: Right. Well, it goes back to, to, to kind of what I was talking about just then. In that, I, I wrote when I was at school, I wrote a game called Obsidian for the uh, Amstrad CPC, which was uh, an arcade adventure, as, they, as that genre was called. And uh, you can see it up on YouTube. There's people who have actually done playthroughs of it. Uh, astonishingly enough. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And it's and it's just coming out. It's coming out soon on Ant's stream, actually. And so it's it's kind of even that game's coming back to life. And that was written in 19. 19- Eighty-five, I think it was. So that that so I wrote that game when I was at school, anyway, uh, and and it got published by Arctic Computing, which was very close to where where I am now, near Hull. And um, Charles Cecil was working. Was, well, he was a partner in that company, which was started with um, it, when he was at uh, I think Birmingham University. Uh, uh, him and another guy from Hull. Said, let's start a publishing company, and because and, this was right in the middle of the sort of early '80s kind of um, that boom time, you know, and when there was lots and lots of independent publishers of, uh, of games for eight-bit micros. So Charles was part of that. I wrote, I wrote this game, not knowing much about Arctic, but being sort of aware of it that as a game publisher, sent the cassette off to to those guys, and and they said, uh, we like this, we'll publish it. So um, that's how I met Charles. And that would have been. Yeah, that would have been 85 and kind of I went to work there for a bit. And then we did conversions for U.S. Gold for a while in sort of 87 or so. And then Charles went off to work for U.S. Gold. And that then he went to Activision uh, and he met a woman called Noreen Carmody there. And they kind of hooked up together. But the, the thing was, she was, I think, brand manager for Sierra, who, oh. who were publishing that stuff through Activision? So there was a there was a link between me, Charles, and Noreen, and Activision and Sierra and all that all that genre. And obviously they knew how well those games were doing and and, and the fact that it was a viable market, you know, and they, and they saw something there. And Charles, of course, at Arctic had written some adventures as well. He'd done this whole series of them: Adventure A, Adventure B, Adventure C. Um, which are which again? They're, they're text adventures from the from the early '80s side of the genre. So he he had adventure interest. Uh, his future wife had adventure business interest at Activision, and I was and I knew them all through through Arctic anyway, from from earlier on in the in the decade. So at the end of the '80s, sort of late '89, Charles said, maybe we should. Go up against sierra and do our own games you know um and we look, we looked at uh, i think it was legislative larry and we and we kind of said what can we do to to kind of beat these guys you know and we and we talked about um trying to do something a bit more sophisticated which is the manifestation of that was lure of the temptress where you had all these sort of um complicated menus for telling people to go off and do things in, a, in an independent world um, which looked a little bit like what we thought level nine were working on as well um they had a game called raj which they were and it was almost the last thing they ever worked on i think before before something happened to them because they were very successful with their games and we saw the game we saw that game at a micro fair or something like that and it looked quite sophisticated so we we knew what they were doing we knew what sierra were doing and we can kind of, we were all programmers and charles was a designer and and, and we just basically sat around, and, and the, the net result of those discussions was Lure of the Temptress.
1: And that was the first game that you guys released, then, was it Lord of the Temptress? I believe. Or...
3: Yeah, that and that was that was the first thing Revolution did. And you know, we I started on the first of March, 1990, and uh, I, I recruited another programmer called Dave Sykes, who I knew knew from hanging around with tech guys in up here in Hull. And, uh, you know, Charles was still at Activision, sort of just finishing up there at this time. So we were, we were sat up here and we and we basically sat and wrote um, the Temptress, the engine for it, um, probably across 90, 1990, 1991.
1: Yeah, because one of uh, probably one of the things that people might know about, or one of the reasons why the Temptress was really ahead of its time was the virtual theater which you guys created for the game. Now, for people listening and who might not know what, what it is, I was wondering if you could explain what that is, you know, and how you came about that idea.
3: Yeah, well, it was all... The, the, the crux of it was that uh, we thought it'd be fun to have people wandering around a sort of a, a complete world. If you, if you imagine a traditional um, graphic adventure like Legacy of Larry or King's Quest or something, you know, it's all... The focus is all on the current scene and that... And, and things are only happening on that scene. They, they may be pretending that things are happening off-screen, you know, with, with flags and stuff like that to, to, to denote that something's happened. So, but in, in reality, it was they were all single-room games, and we thought it'd be kind of fun to have characters literally walk off-screen and continue doing their thing independently in the background. And we also thought it'd be fun if you could tell your own allied characters you know like the rat pouch character to to go off to a different screen and do something and uh, you know have it all sort of feeling like a, a living world which again was was quite ambitious i mean the problem what we had was we couldn't really figure out what to do with it <laughs> it was, it was <laughs> work but it was actually quite hard to design for so we you know we we had this the thing probably the best thing we did with it was to was to have windows in in walls and and some reason why you couldn't go out but another character could but then you you, so you would tell them to go off into the next room and do something and to prove that it was working we'd have a window that you could look through so you could see it actually happening you know like the bars of a prison cell or something so it, it was it was good technology it was way ahead of what anyone else was doing in that in that genre But it was quite hard to design for, which is why it eventually got kind of watered down. So I mean, still Sky still did it, but it was a little bit less of a focus. And then by the time Brunk Sword came along, we'd we'd kind of moved away from it completely because we, we just couldn't figure out how to how to design for it basically.
1: Yeah, no, I can understand. I mean, I'm not a programmer myself, but I can. I can imagine just how difficult it must have been to design, especially back in 1990 uh, because, you know, there was no other game that really was like it in this regard. Um, But yeah, that's one of my main, shall I say, bugbears with adventure games in general is that a lot of times, as you mentioned, the, the focus is on what's happening now, but also usually it's the, only the protagonists who can walk around and the other NPCs they're just standing around sometimes not doing anything <laughs> and I'm always asking why are these people just standing there doing nothing why are they in this corner but I can also imagine that must be very difficult to design so um, but yeah that's what I really liked about the centrist it was like other oh, people walking around it feels like a lived in well village um even if there were issues with it as well and how did you how do you guys come up with this story because i know that charles said before that he how they came up with the title that he, i think he said he mentioned or he just wrote down um someone said it was it lure of the temptress uh, but then as a as a title to just to um uh, for the game it wasn't supposed to be permanent but then i believe someone said that there was not uh they loved the title but he said there was no luring and no temptress <laughs> um so how did how do you guys come up with the story then um for the
3: game uh it's a good question
1: um i know it's a long time ago i
3: mean i mean lure was was very uh seat of the pants stuff i mean you know we said we said let's put it in a dungeon world because we kind of like that kind of thing and, and uh we we had some we had an artist that we employed who, who, who drew some really nice cobbled streets uh, i mean we just said yeah this is great let's do this and have pubs and stuff so and people walking about a little bit like we were probably slightly influenced by um, the Gargoyle Games stuff, like does um, the game Dunderack, which was set in a town and people, everyone wandered around. It, it was probably a little bit, a little bit of that in there as well, because that was a, that was a great game if you remember that.
1: I don't think I've played it, but I think I've heard of it. <laughs>
3: yeah, they did another one before it called Turn and Nog, which was kind of a Celtic thing, um, streets ahead of what anyone else was doing. Mm. So I guess, I guess. There's a little bit of that in there in, in what we were thinking of but you know the design well how did we design it i mean the thing about revolution was we never we never actually really designed anything properly up front we, we just kind <laughs> of a, we just kind of had a direction and and we, and we and the whole thing kind of flowed along you know and, and if you've got a small enough team and everyone's working well together or, or at least have a have some understanding of, of everyone's role and what and what the project is meant to be then you can actually get away with not thinking it through and just doing it. And that that was very much the gist of revolution. It was kind of it's kind of like jamming away. I mean I, I don't I don't know how people write songs in, in bands, but it we 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 kind of worked in a way that I imagine that's that's done, you know. And it's not the way pink things are done these days. Or at least they right. shouldn't <laughs> If, if there's too much money involved then you, you wouldn't do it the way we did it but we 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 were kind of like a band in that we just everyone everyone played their instrument and it and it, it came together hopefully
1: yeah no it's, it's i mean it seems to to have worked it's um seems to have been a commercial success and i know people really liked it at the time and also it's very it's still enjoyable to this day you know because there are some other games that were released around then that have aged that you go back even the first sierra games and the first lucasarts games and while it's still important and can still be enjoyable, but I'm still like, oh wow, this is a game of its time. <laughs> um, but no, Lure the Temptress I think can still be played now and still be enjoyed. And so that's, and also I remember the, the humour as well. It's the first game, and this would go on, I'd imagine, to define the humour in the games, because one thing I really liked about, I really like about the Revolution games is that they never really took themselves hugely seriously. I mean, there's great humour, great comedy in them but with serious stories um was this always the intention for the games or did this just come about um as you mentioned
3: <laughs> well it, it, it comes about in, in, in exactly the way i was just talking about really and right the, the different personalities <laughs> i mean charles would have wanted a serious game probably um and he, and he had this we had this writer called dave cummings who, who was very 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 clever writer and he, he wrote some very cutting English humour, you know, quite dark and dry, and, and that stuff would just get fed in all the time. And uh, and and I was into the humour as well, putting, putting crazy stuff in and hiding crazy stuff and and Easter eggs and that kind of stuff, and generally having a bit of a laugh in a in a in a kind of um, in, a, in, a, in a sort of slightly dark way. So and all all of these things came together. I know Charles never liked the humour too much, or, or or he claimed to not like. It but, but it, it did work you know so he, i guess he went along with it and he, he, and he let, let it stay in you know <laughs> but it, it's just it was just you know those games they were just the 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 net result of the personalities working on on them you know because it wasn't designed it wasn't it wasn't like here's a script that's that's been written for a movie and it's got to be approved by layers of management in, in the in the at the studio you know we just we just did it so whatever people were thinking about it, it was what went went into the game you
1: know right right yeah as you mentioned there's a really biting humor that we um you know broken sword which we'll get to but um and i think that's that's one of the things that made me love at least broken sword which is the first game that that i played like wow this is but very funny but also a you know very powerful story that the story was really interesting But before that, he then went on to make Benito Steel Sky, which, um, it kind of, as I was mentioning, it kind of feels like we're kind of living through that right now in (laughs) some parts of the world. That again, very ahead of its time, the game was. (laughs) Um, but then we came with Benito Steel Sky. So Lord Temperance was a fantasy game, and then Benito Steel Sky was was sci-fi, maybe cyberpunk. I don't know if you call it the cyberpunk as well, but. Um, what did you guys decide to go into that direction to sci-fi? Then after Lord of the Temptress,
3: I get I guess there's two there's two big genres in games, and there? there's like uh, you mm. know there's there's dragons, there's dragons, <laughs> there's dragons and orcs, or, or there's like uh, high tech and robots and AI and stuff. So we just decided to flip and go the other way. <laughs> it's a simple. <laughs> thing. So to get
1: to the to, to two main types of the genre,
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just just cover all bases, you know. Uh, well, yeah, go ahead, sorry I, I think, yeah, uh, think about it, yeah. Steel Sky is very much uh, also a product of, of where it was written, which is over here in um, Kingston-upon-Hull, which is a which is an industrial town with, with you know, it's, it's a marine town with ships and factories and warehouses and stuff like that, and, and it was... It was certainly in the 80s and 70s and all those sorts of times it was quite a grim place I mean, it's quite nice now it's all it's all been regenerated and uh it's, it's very pleasant now but it was quite grim back then and even in the 90s there's something a bit grim about hull and, and a lot of that came out in steel sky i think yeah
1: i mean what well, it's uh um, one of the things one of the reasons why i like Ben steel sky is because it it always felt like even when you're in the um, the Steel Sky, shall we say, it always felt like you could get glimpses of the outside world. You could get glimpses of this much bigger world that you felt part of. That it felt a lot bigger, felt another, like a big world that you was know, just a, just out of reach, just kind of out of reach. Um, yeah. It's uh, and then as, as well, the, um, you know, beneath the Steel Sky, it was it set in Australia, I um, believe. Yes,
3: I, I think it was. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And because then the interesting thing is, and Charles touched on this, I believe, in Adventure X, is that uh, Robert Forster is American, and then but the rest of the characters have Yorkshire accents. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah. in, in a kind of a strange way, I think it, that's what help makes it work because I can't imagine Lamb to sound anything but uh, but like a Yorkshireman.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean that's what it was. I mean, I mean the, uh, the you know again a publisher influence that you know they said you know your main character really should be American. So so we kind of surrounded him with all these, these local characters because we because <laughs> we could you know um, <laughs> it, it's just that's, that's that's the humor you know.
1: Yeah, and 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 again, going because you mentioned that virtual theater was used in this game, uh, probably you know you know at least I think it was used very successfully because there is one moment in the game where you have to get lamb with the with the, you know change his key card and you have to do yeah. that when he's he's going so um uh, how, how do you think because then Benitez guy came out and again it was uh it seems to have done done well um so you know again look looking back again because it's a it's a game that some would say that's ahead of its time but it's, what, what do you think now looking back in you know, a 20 25 years later using technology that you had was there anything that you guys wanted to do that you maybe couldn't with uh technology back then
3: i don't know really i mean the constraint really was how big the team was i mean it was still it was a very difficult game to write it got quite complicated and the team was a bit bigger than *Lord of the temptress and it was it was Slightly better funded, I suppose, but only, only just. And it, it was done on it was done on less money than people write do their their you know AAA games. Their their intro movie budget is bigger than what we had back to write that whole game, you know. So um, it was all fairly tight, and um, I don't know. It, it it was difficult. I'm trying to remember why really it was, just, <laughs> it, was it was it was a little bit more complicated and it was a lot more graphics I suppose than the Temptress um there was quite a lot of stress in, in in steel sky i'm not sure why actually i'm trying to remember why it's just it's just the way it was it was it was on the edge of what we could do with, with what we had you know so i mean if we if we'd had more money and more time i guess we could have relaxed a little bit and, and put a couple more people into key key positions and it, it it would have been a little bit easier um i guess it was also because it was slightly bigger you know when you when you've got three or four people you can everyone can gel together and and not things can go and said but still 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 work if you see what I mean because everyone's on the same exactly the same wavelength and you start to lose that if you get more people you've got like a dozen people as we probably were on, on the, the top of um steel sky it it people aren't necessarily on the same sort of they're not kind of linked psychically you know as to as to how things are gonna work so you, you have to start defining things a little bit more um than we did with lower temperatures which just kind of flowed organically so so it was kind of a learning experience for the for the company i guess was was Steel sky i can't remember what the original question was
1: <laughs> oh no that, i think i think that that answered that because i uh you i remember reading as well that uh, you mentioned that it was uh you know stressful time because as you mentioned that with a small team and uh lack of time as well but i i remember as well that you know that they were difficult, you know. That I remember that there was stress reading about it, that there was stress making the game, and it, it reminded me of, of Blade Runner, another sci fi game, which was huge stress making that uh, movie. But Correct. it seems to have worked because the, the game turned out to be quite good, shall we say.
3: Um, but I'm a fan of writing games as well, you know. it's... Um... It, 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 it's kind of been lost and mm. go back to quite a lot. You know, the, the big games now, the triple A's, I mean, they've hundreds of people in studios in, in, in Quebec and stuff. I mean, you know, they have to plot these things out on a spreadsheet, every single little little thing, every single graphic, every texture, every interaction, it's all it's all plotted out on paper, you know. Mm. And that's that's not the same as how music is written. I think video games need to go a little bit more back to what, t- towards the way music is written, and a little bit less the, to the spreadsheet and the, and the tick boxes, you know.
1: No, absolutely. I think that's what we can see with *Benita Steel Sky* and *Lure to Temptress*. That it didn't seem like, you know, the games are check boxes. It seemed they seemed both very progressive. So, and they were progressive. Right? <laughs> Not seemed. I
3: mean, um, it doesn't matter that they were stressful. What, what matters? Yeah is what the end game was like, and the end the end the end games were worth having. You know, they were worth doing, so it was um, it was worthwhile. You know,
1: definitely. And I know we touched on this as as well with, with the Temptress and with uh, you know the comedy, because to me it seemed like I mean, of course, all the games, but in particular, *Beneath the Steel Sky*, it had a serious story. You know, it had like you could say a combination of the serious stories of I don't know of more serious Sierra games. And then with some of the comedy and some slapstick comedy of LucasArts games, in particular with the the courtroom scene, <laughs> um, which uh, which which was ve- which was very funny. Um, and, and again, how how did you manage to to gel this together? Because from what I remember reading, I believe that Dave Cummings, which you mentioned, uh, he was was he responsible for most of the dialogue in the game
3: he would have been yeah i think so pretty much it was pretty much his thing was that was that was that writing yeah most of it would have been i mean little little bits would have been charles and other people and, and probably pro- there's probably a little bit of mine in there i'm not i can't even remember but <laughs> you, know, you know if you need it if you're implementing the game as i did well i implemented the first half of that game so if i need a little, if i need a line of text somewhere I might just make it up, you know. So, and there's a little bit of mine in that. But the key, the key stuff, the funny stuff, that you know, the the the, the good ideas that were were um, uh, very much Dave, you know, the jokes.
1: <laughs> yeah, because no, some of the, some of the scenes were just very very funny. And I mentioned this lamb. Who <laughs> just one yeah. of the one of my favorite characters in the game because he's just kind of so ridiculous but so funny as well that um, <laughs> that he took himself so seriously but he could just see how ridiculous he was and it just really worked and and then of course the interaction between Robert and Joey was was just was just you know hilarious as well <laughs> um and then the last thing about beneath the steel sky is going back to the virtual theater which you talked about as well were there any differences between uh the engine that you use with lures of temptress and then beneath the steel sky did you update the virtual theater engine uh, at all
3: it was a totally different engine oh okay <laughs> completely started over so um i'm not sure why actually but um, we did we did completely start again probably because that's what you did in those days you know you, you can come from the eight bit games and you, no one no one had an engine that they reused not really you you just you go oh we're gonna write a new game so so you know we'll start programming and uh, that's what we did really uh and and i guess that i guess why did we do that yeah i, I the main thing about Steel Sky was it used, it used a proper um, scripting system to do to do all the scenes, and it was it was a it was a, slight, it was a much more sophisticated system than we used for Lua. So in, in theory, you could have a richer a richer game in terms of content and using the Steel Sky um, system. So that, that's why we started over really. I think we we had our big sort of what we learned from Lua was that um, um, to, to separate the engine from the content. Uh, would be would be a good thing so still sky lent more on its on its scripting system
1: okay um yeah well we as we mentioned you know this game was then released and still it uh, you know it it is regarded as a as a classic, a lot of people would say, including myself. I know, I know some people who say that their favorite game is *Beneath the Steel Sky*, including compared to *Broken Sword*. That you have, seem to have people who say, no, *Broken Sword* series is my favorite, and others who say that *Beneath the Steel Sky* is their favorite. I mean, I love both both series and both games. Although *Broken Sword* would be probably higher for me, mainly because of my first game, and I think that's where everything came together um, for for you guys. Um, and th- then I believe I was sticking with Benito Steel Sky I, I believe it was released for free on Scum VM uh, it was it 10 years ago or something uh, were you guys involved in that at all and do you know why you decided to make it free in the end
3: yeah well I mean it it was it was probably more than 10 years ago but very fair mm. 10 years ago but um, I think by that time we we would have considered you know but this would be probably the time of broken sword two or, or even later than that so in terms of sales you know steel sky was was very much gone it was it was finished at that point stuff stuff in those days used to come and go you know you, you have your your six months or a year or whatever in, in the market and then because because was no internet and, and mm. That that that's that sort of nostalgia scene didn't didn't really exist in those days. So when when stuff died, it died properly, you know. So so Steel Sky was gone for us, um, really. And then the ScumVM guys actually wrote to us, and I think I answered the email um, or got the email, uh, and it's, they said, can we have the engine so we can put it on on um, ScumVM, you know. Uh, and I, I couldn't see any reason not to, to be honest, because it's just, it, it would just be good purpose, wouldn't it? You know, it, it keeps the game alive. And because and, we, we had this, we had this idea that it'd be good to do a sequel one day. And one, one, one way to, to to help with that is to keep the game alive, you know. So by putting it back out there again as as um, a ScumVM thing, it, it it brought the game back to life. So I, I couldn't see any downside to that. So I sold the idea internally and um got permission and then sent them the source code which which they were probably slightly surprised was all um assembler so, <laughs> rather than um, C code which they were probably expecting so they had a lot more work to do than they were they were probably thought they were going to have but <laughs> it, it, was, it was a good move because um you know later on back in probably 2000 Ten or nine or ten, something like that. Maybe even eight. I can't remember now. Um, the Apple guys came to us and said, "Can you? You know, we got this phone called the iPhone. Can you? Can you put um, Broken Sword onto it?" And uh, we kind of thought, "Well, maybe not Broken Sword at first. Let's do, let's do Steel Sky." And, and that job was made considerably easier because you know we 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 would have just had our 68000 assembler and 8086 assembler for the PC version, and that would have been that would have been a hell of a starting point, but of course the VM guys had, had ported it to C++. So we we then went back to them and said, "Can we have can we have your engine now? If we gave you ours. Can we have yours? <laughs> and then you know then we can then we can do a, a an iPhone version of of Steel Sky. So that was the that was the circular route by which um, the Steel Sky engine went.
1: Yeah, and it and it as you mentioned, it uh, it was definitely a, a great decision. I think it kept this game alive. Yeah. That people were discovering it then sometimes for the first time either on their phones and they were because it's it's still you know it's very progressive back then but i mentioned it's you know it seems like we're living through some parts of the of the story right now in certain parts of the world and so it's it's very relevant for now you know 20 plus years later so yeah, i think yeah. it's it's still very relevant to this day it's still well that's one reason why it still works and also it's very well designed as well you know it's uh you know intuitive you know point and click as well so it was you know, ahead of its time in, in many ways. And we haven't mentioned as well that Dave Gibbons uh, was involved, um, that he, of course, most uh, mainly known for creating the Watchmen comic series as well, or graphic novel series. Um, do you know how, because I know that, I, I mean, I from what I read, it seems that he and Charles got together uh, first, but do you know how Dave Gibbons got on board to to help make Beneath a Steel Sky?
3: You know what? I don't.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> you know.
1: I don't. Uh, um. I. I yesterday actually I was watching um a stream with Charles and and Dave and I think okay. they were. I don't know the the full story. I think I you know it's terrible. I sh- I should remember, but I believe I think they were just you know I think Dave or Charles was the fan of Dave Gibbons' work and they got together and then they said oh we want to come to beneath the Steel sky and and they did. I think that's mainly it, but
3: <laughs> something like that. I mean I think there might be some other some other little detail i don't know I'll, I'll ask charles next time i see him but um <laughs> I, I mean i remember dave coming coming up to hold reasonably often and, and design meeting mm. and he, he was he was very good at one-liners and stuff and, and great fun and uh you know he had some good ideas for it and, and did and did line all those all those locations he he did the lines on them so you know he 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 added a lot at that point and uh, that that was very much part of um part of that game you know okay
1: um, well, I suppose we can we can move on then to to Broken Sword, uh, Shadow of the Templars, well, it's or Circle of Blood in the United States, which was uh, the next point and click adventure. And um, now, as I said, this one was what you know got me into the adventure genre. And I see even to this day, uh, so many people still talk about this game and the series as a whole. Mm. And and again, you mentioned that you had the two main types of genres, you know, fantasy and sci-fi, and then you went, you guys went with uh, conspiracy thriller with, with humor. Um, and I suppose where did the ideas for this game come from? Because nowadays, you know, conspiracy thrillers with Knights Templar are, I'd say, overused. But back then, there wasn't that many stories about the Knights Templar, I imagine. So how did you guys come up with this particular story, which again is ahead of its time?
3: Uh, yeah. Uh... Well, I wasn't actually involved in that in that initial design, but I, I, I believe Charles, Charles has a big thing for history and delving back and looking for interesting things that can be sort of teased teased back out and used, you know. Um, so he, he would he would have had an interest in the Templars, I think, and was looking for mm. some, something, some sort of angle with that. Um I believe that a guy called Sean Brennan, who was who was at Version Interactive, um, who who then backed us to, to do that game uh, and funded it. I, I think Sean Brennan was was also part of that conversation to do to do with the Templars and, and how they might be a good thing to to um, to try and pull out. And I think also it was roughly the same time as that as the famous book um, Holy Blood Holy Grail, which was which was mm. sort of I mean, it was ahead of us in, in, in sort of looking at the Templars and, and seeing if there was anything interesting there, you know. So the, the, the Templars were kind of bubbling away in the background. They were not a mass market thing. You know, the public wasn't wasn't going crazy for Templars, um, but there, it, there was something in the sort of consciousness of, uh, of, of that, that sort of time like that kind of era so i guess charles latched onto that and, and and saw that there was something interesting there because there's all this you know there's all this history and you, you can read about it and there's 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 mythology and there's the obvious angle that what if they're actually didn't disappear and they're still around you know influencing things in the background and once once you once you have that thought then it's just obvious that you, that you should do something because uh it's just such a good idea
1: yeah no i mean it just all came together and as I, as I mentioned as well, the, um, that scene with uh, Henri Labano just giving you the history of the Knights Templars and the Hashashin and just everything about it, I was absolutely fascinated. And I did do my own reading afterwards just to find out more about it.
0: Yeah. And
1: yeah. it 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 was, you know, it it literally blew my mind away. Just and then, you know, as you mentioned, thinking just what if they're still out there? <laughs> um yeah. It and and then also another reason why this game is very well remembered are the really beautiful graphics that it, you know, Broken Saw, well, one and two in particular look absolutely gorgeous with the beautiful background as well. Um, and look kind of different to Benito the steel sky as well. So I thought well, my question is, why did you guys decide on, on this, this type of graphics, you know, these 2T cartoony type graphics. And I, I mean that in a good way when I say cartoony. Yeah. Um, I
3: mean, I, mean there was never any doubt in our minds at that point that it would be 2d and 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 um you know sprites and you know this was before the the, the dreadful times of of people saying it must be 3d you know <laughs> yeah. so there's never any doubt that it would be 2d and i guess we looked at how we did steel sky which was which was done from 2d lines and then and then colored you know um, and scanned so so i mean a progression of that was was it, it you know a uh, sort of was a progression of, of the tech and, the, and the, the techniques that we used for um, Steel Sky, but there, there, were, there were obviously the, the angle that made it work was um, Don blue Studios, those guys over in Ireland, uh, and, and the studio there, um, a guy called Owen Cahill, I think he was called, who, who was, was um, you know very experienced animated feature artist who, who basically drew those backgrounds, which are define the style in, in a way but they you know they came from a very classical um, cartoon industry background and and it, it shows you know it, it was just way ahead of the normal sort of art quality that you would that you would get in a video game
1: yeah no i mean absolutely just the the animations the backgrounds, uh just th- throughout the game as well and uh, then of course the introduction scene as well which is now a classic uh, we'd see the bird's eye view from the Notre Dame. And um, and then another reason as well is the voice acting, in particular, Rolf Saxon, who um, is now synonymous with George Stobart. Uh, were you involved at all in casting uh, the voice actors or was that mainly with with uh, other people?
3: It absolutely wasn't me. Um, <laughs> I, I would have been programming and implementing uh, back, back in the studio. Um so, no, uh, I, I, I don't know how Rolf came in. I mean, I think it was just uh, it would have been a fluke, really. It would have been someone would have, they, you know, usually usually we would find someone who would act as casting director and they would know a bunch of people. that they, they would they would line up to be good for certain roles. You know, I, I don't think Rolf came came directly through us. So he, he would have he would have just um, been a lucky find, I think.
1: Yeah, well it, it it worked very well because um you know now as i said he's synonymous with george sobart um and well then going back to the programming side as well, you mentioned that you then didn't uh you know you didn't use virtual theater for as much you know for this game because it um wasn't working so what what did you Used then to to make the game was did he des- did design from scratch did he design another program for the game and by the way, I don't know much about programming so I, <laughs> I apologize if the questions are very simple
3: no, <laughs> no simple the better um. <laughs> When I mean, we did what we always did, new game, new engine. You know, it's just, <laughs> <laughs> let's, just, let's just start again. I mean, you learn so much from from each game that, that that by the end of it, you know, by the end of Still Sky, you go, well, what are the weaknesses of that engine? You know, what was the hardest thing to do, and what did we, you know, what didn't we develop enough of? And then you kind of react to that and, and focus on it completely for the next engine, and probably and probably leave some little gaps that that you'll that you'll then carry forward to the one after that, you know. Uh, you know, each basically each engine is a reaction to what we did previously so so that we, we'd fix what we thought we hadn't done properly in the last one um, i mean the, the, there'll be a lineage of course but i don't think there was much actual code copies copied across so you know, or maybe the scripting system actually the the, the the scripting system that i was that i was t- talking about earlier we probably carried that across i don't remember that being much different from how it was in Steel sky but um you know, maybe ramped up a little bit with some new features in it but the the script the script system was the very much the it was the core of these games you know it was how they were implemented um and, and when i say when i say a script system it was if, if you imagine i don't know if you imagine a film script you know we've got every scene is laid out in a in a this person says this this person says that on a on a sheet of paper yeah and the actors mm-hmm. are, are the lines from it and then 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 they go off and film it you know so the script for us was a, was a similar thing in in that uh, as a separate entity from the from the program from the engine you would ha- you would have these scenes which were I mean they weren't on paper at least not they might have been at first but in the actual game themselves they're they're not they're not coded as such they're 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 in a, in a language they're, they're set out in a language in a text you know using a text editor in a, in a language which is which is a little bit like a program but also a little bit like a film script. And that you know it's 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 a kind of this happens that happens then this happens and then someone walks here and then someone plays an animation then someone else says this and then that's the end of that little scene and every single interaction when you click on something it runs a specific scene to um, scene script for that particular action so that that was very much the crux and the core of how we made these games so so although although um, Steel Sky and Broken Sword had different engines. The, the, that wasn't really very important. What was important was the scripting and, and the scenes. That they, held those games together.
1: Yeah, and uh, well, again, it seems, it seems to have worked, shall we say? Because even though the other characters didn't really walk around, have their own lives, they still felt they still felt real because they still did their things. I remember the first uh, one of the first people you meet is the person, the construction worker. You have to get to, you know, when he says, uh, you know, save the dolphin, find him and eat him, I say, <laughs> and you have to try and get rid of him. But um, so, and it still felt, you know, and the um, the Spanish guy, you know, watering the the garden. So, you know, so again, it still felt real as well. So, and right. yeah, and the game also features some beautiful cutscenes. Um, you know, such absolutely incredible cutscenes as well particularly the final one the you know the climactic moment as well which was just beautiful and then you mentioned as well that with each game that you try you know you you use a different engine you start it again but then with broken sword 2 it was was it the same engine because the game seemed very similar like gameplay wise uh
3: well i think the story of of broken sword 2 would be that um well to go back to broken sword 1 the idea with it was was that um, the publisher Virgin Interactive, the the European end of that, of that company, which which at its heart was an American company, but the the, the UK office was very um, there were they were, they were interesting people and very very um, kind of independent and uh, keen to do keen to do good things and and their their idea with with Broken Sword was that uh, it was effectively an experiment and the idea was to pump a lot of money into an adventure game to see what would happen um and, and the idea was to have a big big hit and see if and see if the genre could kind of move more into the mainstream when I mean, at, at this time i guess adventure games were starting to wane ever so slightly i mean you wouldn't really notice it as a as a as a player but in the industry adventures were starting to go a little bit off the off the back burner you know people were not as keen to to, to publish them uh you know it, we, we were looking at things like resident evil which which were you know, zombie games and stuff like that and, and they were selling in huge huge quantities so you know it, it, we were kind of it, it was kind of do, do you do you want to kind of give up on adventures or is it worth having a of an experiment to see what can be done so i think virgin said well we like what you've done previously with steel sky you know why come over to us at virgin and we'll we'll pump a load of money in fund it really really quite nicely and and see what we can do you know and and the 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 results of that was was two probably two and a half years work on on broken sword one you know a reasonable amount of money not not much compared to these days but quite a lot for for those days in Europe and certainly quite a lot for an adventure game it was probably the best best funded European adventure I imagine some of the American games were at bigger budgets but it, it was quite you know it was generously funded really and, and you, you saw that in the in the, the richness of the graphics and the size of the game and the amount of animation in it and all of those backgrounds and all of that music you know that 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 stuff took a lot of effort so you know it was worth doing and, and you, you can look at broken sword and say well, that was that was um a pretty good production you know now at the end of it things had moved on two and a half years later uh, adventures were, were slipping even further and and the thing about broken sword was i mean it, it got very very good reviews it, it sold reasonably well at the start not not in the way that that a resident evil game would so i get, i guess after this the publishers were saying well we spent a lot of money we didn't get it all back immediately. So our our way of getting some money back from Broken Sword is to very quickly do a follow up. So, you know, they basically we basically said, you know, you've not got two and a half years to do Broken Sword 2. You've got a year and you need to make it a bit smaller and your, your budget is like half what it was. So we we kind of went very quickly off the off the back of Broken Sword One straight to Broken Sword Two, and I think we we yeah we used the same engine we tidied it up a little bit but there was never really um, you know for once we didn't start again.
1: Well I suppose if you know if if it works then because it worked in Broken Sword One and then. Broken it, Sword Two, then <laughs> it, yeah. it worked for Broken Sword Two, then as well. So, so was I read somewhere that you guys started working on Broken Sword Two before you released Broken Sword One. Is that true at all?
3: Well, it wouldn't have been. Uh, well, it, it would. I mean, yes, but not by much, like a few weeks. Right. If, <laughs> if, if you have a team of, if you have a team of people, like twenty-five people or whatever it was, in, in an office. Then you know, on the on the day that you finish Broken Sword One and, and the master disc goes gets put got, got put on a on a motorbike to to the duplicators in, in Liverpool or wherever it was, you know, the next day everyone comes to work. So, so what what do they do? Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. So you know, it might be another month before the game the first game goes through the system and the boxes are made and the duplicating plans start crank up and you know, you go through the test, the test run of the master disc and all the rest of it you know, you know book book the advertising in the in the magazines and all this sort of stuff I mean, those things those things take a reasonable amount of time so it probably i don't know a couple of months so before you know before that before that first game finished there would have been discussions as to what came next um and i and i guess yeah i, I mean i guess i guess what i was saying earlier was slightly slightly wrong in that they were already saying we don't think it's gonna you know, we don't think it's going to be a mega hit. So, you know, we need to we need to quickly do a follow up and see if, see if it can work that way.
1: Well, it, it seems to have worked at least um, uh, with, you know, critically, I imagine, because uh, people seem I mean, I, I loved both games. And I know a lot of people still feel the same with uh, with the two games. Because one thing I liked about Broken Sword 2 is that it there are very different locations and a different story. So you felt like it felt similar with the same characters but they would go to Latin America and then it just felt yeah, this is kind of like, you're not rehashing the same locations and the same story. It felt still different. And that's what I love. I mean, I love the backgrounds as well in Broken Sword 2, you know, the jungles and uh, the village in Latin America. Which, again, if, it transported me me there. Um, So, and then afterwards, now you're talking about how there was, um, you know, a a shift, you know, from, you know, to 3D then as well. And before Broken Sword 3, you released In Cold Blood, which I I enjoyed as well for PS1, I believe, um, which was uh, more of an action adventure. Um, Do you remember the reasons why you moved to action adventure? Was that again, the publishers who wanted more action in the games?
3: Very much publishers, yeah. I mean, mm. you know, after Broken Sword Two, it, it was not clear what what direction to go in. I suppose because we, you know, we would be looking for a reasonable budget and all the rest of it. I think Virgin at that point had had gone the way that Virgin went, um, which was dragged down by its um, US parent, which was a shame because the UK end was 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 very good. Um, but it's often the case the, the the European company the European end is good the, the American end is uh, sinking and it takes down the Europeans with it and that's what happened with Virgin so we were kind of looking looking for what we're going to do next and uh, the interesting thing about Broken Sword both games was that they, they did very well on Playstation 1 Um and uh, yeah what was interesting was virgin said to us you know you can just do it you know we we don't we don't we're not going to publish it so you can go out there and do your own deal and all the rest of it and just pull them over uh, and we did that with broken sword one we did we did a deal directly with um sony europe and, and that game came out and did really well i mean it sold it sold phenomenally well on playstation one even though it was a really it, it didn't have and this is and this is a quite an important historical point in time i think because we didn't really consider what we could do with the ui on on the playstation so it was just a very it was just a straight port and you could use a mouse or you could or you could play the controller and you controlled an on-screen mouse and we and if we would put more thought into that uh and done and done, an, done a, a good ui for the for the playstation then maybe adventures would have had a bit a bit more of a chance to continue that that particular line you know if you see what
1: I'm trying to say. Right, yeah, yeah. And no, I suppose it's, it's difficult to know as well, you know, in hindsight as well, because, um, you know, book, yeah, because again, I know you guys were competing with, as we mentioned, Resident Evil and then Doom and uh, yeah. all these other games and, and the consoles doing your know, PS1 and which had just been released that even the Broken Sword was very popular. That's why I remember Charles saying as well that there was a shift away from point and click because publishers were saying that, those type of games wouldn't sell anymore, but then Broken Sword One and Two were very, very popular on the PS1.
3: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's that's exactly it. So what what would happen was, you know, Sony would look at Broken Sword on on their platform and say, well, you know, we like um we, we like the brand, you know, we like the stories, we like the characters, you know, we sort of like the art, sort of don't like the art. Um, you know, what could Revolution do if it was if it was freed up from the from the burden of point and click and 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 allowed, and allowed to write a proper game in in 3D you know and uh, you know and the and the thing is if if you if as a developer you think you've got nowhere else to go with with what you've been doing you know what do you do do you do you close the company down and, and let everyone go or do you do you, do you do what the publishers are asking which is try and try and develop something new and and what they wanted was stories and characters, but and maybe a bit of action with guns is what they would say. And then you know, can you can you do something, guys? So you know, you say yes, we'll, we'll have a go. And uh, and, what, and what we came up with is In Cold Blood, which is which you can see is is a fusion of of something like Metal Gear Solid and Broken Sword. You know.
1: Yeah, definitely. I remember I play I played it and. The story as well was very progressive for its time, again, with the the politics. I don't remember it entirely, but I remember just the background of the plot and, you know, with the Chinese and the Russians, I believe. And even again, nowadays, it seems very relevant that it seems you guys were predicting the future. Yeah,
3: yeah. (laughs) China and Russia, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, which which again is just you know amazing to, uh, to, to to think about. And um, and then Broken Sword was made before you know Assassin's Creed, which you could say there are similarities, and Da Vinci Code, which became the best-selling, uh, novel of all time at the time. Um, so so then In Cold Blood was your first foray into, uh, 3D, I believe. Now it's um, did, did you have to redesign the the gameplay as well and the program of it as well?
3: Well, of course we, of course we mm. wrote a new engine for for Blood. Yeah, you know, new game, new engine. Why not? Sure. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, that, that one we had to because it was a very different, very different project indeed. I mean, it was it, it was a 3D world with a 3D coordinate system, and uh, the, the the sprites were 3D characters that could be rotated, and you know, the, the backgrounds were done on a on on 3D Max, I think package thing so they were they had a proper camera so they were they were in perspective so that when you when you put the character in the screen the camera will be you proper mathematical camera so the the sprite would get bigger and smaller correctly as he walked around the screen and all the rest of it unlike the the broken sword games where you know there is proper perspective but it's 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 done more in an artistic way you know so we we would it it would be very approximate you know george gets bigger and smaller as he walks around but it's 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 approximate you know it's not it's not Mm. mathematically true um but you you know if you're going to use a 3d sprite like ink or blood did then you have to do it properly so you know, it was all the art was a very different very different process. It was all modelled, even though we had static 3D backgrounds, which we thought would be, you know, our, our way of making it different and more interesting, um, than what other people were doing. It was it was it was all all new, you know.
1: Right, yeah. So again, once again, starting from the top, <laughs> you guys had, from what I hear, it, you guys have been used to that from Little Temptress, uh, Beneath of the sea of Sky, Broken Sword, now In Cold Blood, just to redesign again from scratch. You know? yeah. <laughs> and so th- then, and then, as well as redesigning the you know in three D as well, this was also as you mentioned an action kind of stealth game as well. And were were there any kind of challenges to make a game like that from a point to click adventure?
3: uh well i mean there obviously were because it, it it doesn't fully work you know i mean it it's 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 quite a good game it's it's mm. slightly compromised by its ui i think is the general general consensus on that you know the ui wasn't quite right um but it's it's an interesting project and, and it's and it, it i mean it actually sold very well um probably is probably our best seller at, at, oh wow that's uh, that's interesting at one point it was, you know, it was it was our best full price seller, I think, because um, it sold it sold globally reasonably well. You know, it it, it, it didn't it, it wasn't again, it wasn't a Resident Evil, but it was it was it was pretty solid. And um, and yeah, I mean, it, it, it did it did quite well, you know, so it, but but we kind of missed our chance again to, to define a new genre, you know, mm. because we because we didn't quite get the UI right. We, we, we then compromised what came afterwards, you know, which which was a shame.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I'm happy to hear it sold well um, because uh, it seems, you know, when I go online, people always are asking, I want to, you know, when is the next broken sword coming out? When is the next broken sword coming out? <laughs> um, but yeah, I quite enjoy the game. Now, I, I do have a confession to make. I played it, I believe, with an invincibility cheat that I found because I wanted to focus on the story and the gameplay without, without dying, uh, like yeah. I did in Metal Gear Solid as well. I died a lot in that, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, because i've never been now that's on me because i've never been very good at action games but i remember i quite enjoyed and the story as you mentioned is very progressive as well and then from in cold blood this was the turn of the century you went to broken sword 3 the sleeping dragon you know back to the knight's templar now this is the first uh broken sword game that went to 3d and there's some changes that you guys made you know with um it's direct control there's some minor platforming elements and you know some box pushing puzzles as well which uh so I did some different things through the previous games as well um I just want to talk about you know the change as well so i imagine was it as you mentioned was it the publishers who wanted you guys to go 3d for broken sword or they wouldn't publish a game
3: uh, that's that's exactly it. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's what I read somewhere. So okay. and so, how, how did you guys go about because you had worked on In Cold Blood in 3D? So how did you go about then um, with Broken Sword: Sleeping Dragon? Did you take what you learned on In Cold Blood and or tell us what, what did you learn from In Cold Blood that you then use on Broken Sword Three? Um,
3: well, I think the story of In Cold Blood was that that. It, it was unfortunate in that um, I think what went wrong for us because Sony were a very com- good company to work for, and we had a very good producer, and uh, you know they liked us, and they liked Broken Sword, and um, you know Inkle Blood it did okay. They they would they were re- you know they would they were probably neither happy nor unhappy with it. You know it was, it was a good solid European game, and um, you know they, they need a, they need a number of those. Some some games really fail, you know, and Inkle Blood didn't really fail it it didn't it didn't go to the top of the charts but it didn't fail either you know so in theory things things would have gone forward with sony but i think what happened there was a a lot of politics in in that all all of our contacts were kind of ejected from sony and new people came in and kind of you know they like to like to change things so we were part of the change (laughs) in that in that what we were going to do for them next um, suddenly wasn't on the cards at all and we were we were back out in the in the cold as it were so then I think you know they, they were just someone we would have been in a reasonably bad position because again you know you have your company full of people with, with computers and desks and, and overhead and all the rest of it so you need a new project fairly quick so in, the obvious thing was to try and do a bro- another broken sword game because he, he's got a track record uh, people you know it's it's a well-known well-known brand so you know we we, we would go along to the publisher and they would say yeah yeah bro- we love broken sword but you know of course um it'd be great if it was 3d and uh, or contemporary you know so you know at, at that point there, there was starting to be third-party 3d engines like i think we used um what did we use what did we use for it i can't remember its name now we used one of the one of the big engines that, that there was at the time the middleware engines. Um, I can't remember what it was called, but anyway, we, 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 used, cause you know, back by then, even, even by then writing your own 3d engine was, was a hell of a big job and, and not a sensible undertaking. So we used a middleware engine and, um, built the game on top of that, you know, and in theory it's, 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 it's easier in some ways than, than even doing a 2d game in other, but in other ways it's, it's harder, you know, there's all, there's always, there's always the new stuff you have to deal with. Um, and again it would have been it would have been not a great budget, I suppose mm. see so, yeah I mean that that was the main problem Burston three not not a great budget, so you know you're kind of going well we need we need this game to be a certain size, so you end up with generic bits that you can repeat and so obviously the crates and things like that were with a thing that could be repeated to to make the game bigger um which we, we didn't want to do and uh, we got a lot of flack for it afterwards those those things were not too too popular and there were there were too many of them. Uh, but you know that's that's the reality that that, that we had to deal with. So uh, you know it, it was an okay game, but um, you know it, it was what it was. What did you think of it?
1: Yeah, what? I remember. I, I enjoyed it. Now. I, I I mean, for me Broken Sword One and Two is the pinnacle of the whole genre. So it's uh yeah. you, you know, so it's very difficult to come I think after those. But overall I did like it. As you as you mentioned, there were a lot of box puzzles, but um you know, box pushing. Again, I didn't really mind them so much. I mean I, I enjoyed, you know, trying to think as well. I found some of the puzzles to be more challenging than in Broken Sword One and Two. Um, but again it's not necessarily a bad thing and um about the graphics i didn't mind the graphics you know because I, I read now. this you know i have shall we say strong opinions about people who have strong opinions about 3d now i know in some games because people always use escape from monkey island as kind of the, the brush to paint all 3d adventure games that even now they're saying why did LucasArts go 3d you know it's terrible and I, I think broken sword 3 looked better than escape from monkey island um and i didn't mind it now as i said i I preferred uh, one and two, but then again, they're my two favorite games of all time. Um, yeah. So you know, it's <laughs> it's it's quite hard to you know match those games. I think, but no, I I can understand why you guys had to go make the decisions. You know, you mentioned you know, do we try and do what publishers want go in 3D, or do we just lay everyone off? So it's <laughs>
3: yeah, um, that's that's literally that's literally where we were. You know, it's um, you, do we do we forget all about it? We, we we want. I mean, the thing for us was first of all we were into the stories you know mm. first and foremost we were story and puzzles so right you know the, the the 3d if we'd got it right if we'd got it really right we we could have we could have um we could have really broken the mold and and and, mm. and re- renewed the genre which was also what we were trying to do in the back of our minds at all at all times so you know it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't the worst thing in the world that we were making a 3d adventure you know we, we might, have no, cracked, I... <laughs> might have cracked it and done something phenomenal you know and i think now actually if you look at what broken sword 3 was and what it was doing what it was like to play there's a lot of games just like that
1: right <laughs> it yeah it's uh you know it's funny as well how just kind of re-evaluation as well that there are now a lot of games that try to be like broken sword 3 which um you know which which is kind of funny as well it's but no i i remember i quite i think i played through it twice when i first got got it for the playstation because so i i remember i played it with the controller i think people have said that if you try to play it on a keyboard and mouse it it wasn't as easy as as on the gamepad But I never had that issue because I played on the PlayStation. Was it PlayStation 2 or 3 back then? I can't remember. I think it was PlayStation 2 because that's what I had.
3: I think it was 2, yeah. I remember the dev kits. Yeah, it was 2. Yeah.
1: Now, the game definitely looks better than... Um, you know, again, people, you know, it's uh, Gabriel Knight 3, Simon the Sorcerer 3D, and as I mentioned, Escape from Monkey Island. They always mention those games as to why 3D doesn't work in adventure games, which I don't agree with. I mean, I think this game has look better in those games, but I don't think we should say no adventure game works well in 3D because especially since then, there have been many, many, great-looking adventure games in 3D. But um, anyway, I won't go on about that because I have gone on about it in other episodes. <laughs> um, you know, uh, But I also like to give games a chance and just, you know, developers, if they want to make a game in 3D, I'm like, sure, go ahead. Just see what, what you got. I don't want to either dismiss a game or anything. Um, but then I remember with um, Broken Sword 3 that when it came out, now I read somewhere that it didn't make money but then i read that it actually did make money um it's uh now i don't know how much you're able to tell us ab- about this um but what what you know what was the story behind it if you're able to tell us because it seems strange to me that a game that uh make, that then issues is told that it makes money
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's different sorts of making money i think um, right <laughs> there's 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 the, an and in between. In between all these things uh, all these two extremes uh, is is accounting and uh, the way the way things might be accounted for for what what the developer is told you know the developer is told the game hasn't hasn't made any money so you won't be making any royalties but but for, and that's and that's the that's the way the accounts of, of, and the sales are presented to the developer uh and the, the way the publisher. As his um, accounts, he probably has made an awful lot of money, as, ha- as have a lot of other people like the retailers and, um, you know, the distribution people. And ever so re- in truth, uh, every- everyone, the-, the way it was set up in those days, I mean, and also these days, quite often, um, but-, but very much in those days was that, the- that it was it was set up so that everyone made quite a reasonable amount of money. Uh, except the developer <laughs> which is
1: just so unfair it's, it's madness
3: yeah yeah well uh, it's because the, the developer bears the cost of, of production you see so everyone mm. everyone else has money straight away but the developer doesn't make money because he, he, he has to he has to make the product out of his own money from from which everyone else can instantly make money and, and they, they managed to they managed to rig it so that the developer never quite recoups the money and starts earning a royalty and, and that happened to us um and certainly on that one
1: yeah. i mean that's madness because you guys were putting in all of the work <laughs>
3: Yeah, but you know the, these these companies were very aggressive, and they, they, right. they're 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 public companies with with shareholders, and, and once you're into that zone, you know it's mm. it's 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 all about dragging in as much money as possible in the shortest amount of time to make to make the next quarterly um, accounts. You know, it's um it, it it's it's not a great place for for a little developer who likes making adventure games.
1: Right. No, because I remember reading some of the reviews on PlayStation magazines. Now, I was thinking, oh, it's an adventure game. It's going to get slaughtered by these magazines. But it got good reviews. It got like seven and eight out of ten kind of across the board, which was like really good for it because these are like the PlayStation magazines who uh, were mainly focusing on the first-person shooters and more action games. And if they yeah. liked the game, I was like, oh, that's kind of impressive. Um, yeah. So,
3: <laughs> And often, the, the, often these magazines were written by... Uh, quite young people who, who as well who, yeah very very young people who who didn't even have the history going back into you know the 90s genre of adventuring so you know they were very much kind of console gamers mm. and things so when you when you put a broken sword in front of them and they're going what, what the hell is this you know yeah,
1: what what's this broken sword about
3: there's <laughs> the action you know where's where's the shooting people and doing this stuff so, you know it's it's quite a dangerous place for a game to be in, in that kind of environment i mean it's, it's all completely different these days because uh, you, you can do any game in any style and, and you can find your audience for it but in those mm. days the game had to go through the traditional channel which was distribution and retail and adverts in magazines and and all the rest of it you know that was the way a game was was produced and published and, and um, uh, publicized so there was no other way there was no indie there was no there was no internet really still so you know you 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 lived or died with with that traditional model
1: yeah so things have changed a bit now we see a lot of indie games and a lot more adventure games now and uh, then i don't want to keep you too long but then you move to uh broken sword four so despite um you know to Issue that you had with you know with, you mentioned making money for developers you then moved to broken sword for the angel of death which i believe 2008 now i read somewhere that it was another company another studio that uh, worked on the game uh, was that true as such
3: yeah it was done by sumo digital mm. over, over in sheffield who who were, were and are a, a just just a porting house in well not just a porting house but they, i mean they do all sorts these days but back then when they were kind of young in those days as well and they were they were very much um you know sort of put implementing games for other people was what was what they did so you know i think because i think the budget for broken four was even less so that the the, the the deal was that the, the production should be done by a company that already had quite a lot of existing technology, you know, 3d stuff and tools and, and art, art pipelines and all the rest of it. So, you know, they, they wanted to do it through Sumo and and that's the way it went. So, I mean, I actually had nothing to do with it. Uh, oh. I, I had nothing to do with it. Uh, I, I, had a little bit of design at the start of it. Um, but I've not, I've not even played it. Oh, you haven't even played it. <laughs> I haven't played it. <laughs> I don't think I even own a copy, and I've got boxes and boxes of everything else, but I don't, I don't, I don't think I even have a copy of Burnt Sword Floor. Okay, so a very short
1: discussion on this then.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so I, I know nothing.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I, I played this game, and now I, I I do think it's it's the weakest of the of the series. Um, but although I've read that people, also some people really like it. You know, they say that, uh, oh, this is. Some people say a return to form. And I was like, oh, really? Since when were you guys out of form? But um, <laughs> you no, know, I mean, there is part that I really liked about the game. You know, I think the humor is still there, the writing is still there. Like, and Roll Saxon is still great. And yeah. there's still some really funny moments, uh, particularly in a wafer factory that he pretending to be a German inspection inspector of a wafer factory. Right. <laughs> and and he plays it, you know, beautifully. And so there's still nice things about it. But yeah, I I think that other things, you know, like graphically and gameplay wise, even though it went back to point and click, I do think it's weaker than the other games in the series. Um but but again, you know, I try not to be too hard on games because I can imagine how hard it is designing games. So um but, but yeah, no, I mean, I was happy to see uh, another broken sword. But then I, I believe Charles mentioned as well some of the issues that, uh, again, with, you know I think, uh, I, I mean, I don't want to speak for Charles, of course, but I believe there's some issues making the game as well. And now during that time, because there were very, very few adventure games being released then, as you mentioned, the traditional model. So uh, how, how did Revolution kind of survive uh, through all that? Because we had... Uh, lucasarts who changed and we had sierra who basically sold um uh, as well and a lot of comp- some companies as well went under so how do you remember how you guys survived through this um uh the dark ages of the adventure genre
3: <laughs> well revolution survived by by always being very small mm. and, you know we never- Never grew into a big company with with lots of people I and mean, it was it was it was reasonably at towards the end of broken sword one and, and during Broken Sword two uh, and in cold blood as well i suppose it was quite big but we, we tended to have a, a, a small core team and then we'd, we'd bring people in just just to work on those particular games you know uh, so it was never such a big company that it was that it, that it would just go under you know so we 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 never had this great overhead that that destroyed us in the end as happened to a lot of people because i mean if you look at the 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 number of adventures uh, the number of um, developers from you know from the 90s and the 2000s i mean not that many of them still exist in the same same form because because everyone runs out of road at some point when the genre changes or whatever or or one bad hit and that's it you're done for you know Uh, but revolution stayed very small so it was you know at times, it, it scaled right back to virtually nothing, and almost hibernated, you know. And then it would come back to life again. As, as and, and the story of revolution is that, um, uh, it eventually, it was almost like asleep. And, and uh, Ubisoft came along and said, "Hey, how about the GBA?" You know, and and it, it kind of it kind of awakened. And we did. Um, you know, I came back, and uh, Yost from ScumVM, who, who who we talked about. Approaching us for for the Steel Sky source code all those years before he came, he came back he came in and and we and we did Broken Sword on the on the GBA and that's and the, and the DS and and that's how that's how we came back uh, from from nothing and then a little bit later on of course the iPhone was was another mm. pivotal moment in, in our recovery and we and we did uh, Steel Sky on the iPhone and then and then after that we did the Broken Sword games and and that was really quite quite a good thing for us and, and allowed us to, to build up and, you know, exist again.
1: Yes, yeah, so it, it kept uh, the games alive, I suppose. And I, I remember even I played Broken Sword 1 and 2, I believe, on the Nintendo DS, even though I'd already played them many times. I just thought, oh, I'll play them again. I believe it was the Director's Cut versions of them that I played. Did you have anything to do with the Director's Cut versions of the broke two Broken Swords?
3: I did. I oh. did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were... I think, I, think, I think we did um, we did a GBA game, didn't we? I'm sure we did GBA. I think so, yeah.
1: I, th- I didn't play that version, but I, I think it was a Nintendo DS.
3: <laughs> I'm glad you know. Um, <laughs> so that, that was the first one, and it was done on an 8-meg cartridge. And, uh, and, of course, what we were not good at at Revolution was keeping our source code and archiving everything properly. So uh, we, we basically decided it, it, the best thing to do was to write a new game that looked like the old one. So uh, we had to cut it back enormously anyway to fit on a, on an 8 meg cartridge. Uh, so you know it was like a tiny broken sword for for the Nintendo. And that and th- from that point we, we had a working engine and a working source code. So that's so that game then grew into the director's cuts because it was it was basically the only feasible code base that we had. So you know we started off from a position of a cut down game and, and had to build it up. So in the, the criticism is that we we cut things out to Broken Sword for the director's cut. Whereas in actual fact, we didn't we didn't cut things so much as we didn't put them back in. If you see what I mean?
1: Right. Yeah. I remember that I believe there were less hot spots in the game, and then we there's some new scenes where you can play as Nico in Broken Sword One, and we get to know more about her.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I that extra stuff was quite good actually. I mean, yeah, good I quite shit. enjoyed it. I thought it was quite good, quite interesting. Mm. I thought we did a good job with that. I mean, the, sh- the shame was the stuff that was missing from the game, but um, right. Um, I, I understand why people were, were a, a bit upset about it. That, that knew the first game so well, but uh, the, the history of it is that um, we, we 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 had a different starting point. So you know, and we had a certain amount of time, and we put back in really quite a lot over what the GBA game was, but we didn't we didn't have time to put the whole game back.
1: Sure. Yeah, I know. One thing that people mention is as well that um, changed the beginning of of the game. Was this intentional <laughs> when you play as Nico, and then we go, you know, to um, the beginning of the game from the bird's eye view as well? Was this, or is this just something that that just happened when you were doing the director's cut?
3: Well, that's what the director's cut was. It was it was the extra story. Mm. Uh, you know, the the, the 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 project was to put more new stuff in. Um, so we. We, we built up Nico's story and, and brought it forward a bit to explain what she was up to in between what George was doing. And, and I thought that stuff was actually quite good and quite well designed. I mean, um, and it was it was Charles mostly that did that. Um, I quite liked it. And then. Yeah. We- and then later on it cuts into uh, George starts now I think the controversial thing was that George's opening line changed and I'm not sure why
1: <laughs> I don't remember that I'll have to check it out again but <laughs> I,
3: think I think yeah I think you know you know you know George's monologue the famous monologue from the start broken sort of one I think that changed a little bit because because I guess because it was further it was already into the game so it didn't need to be sort of introducing the world. Mm. Was it? As George was at that point, Uh, right. And we thought people would know that anyway, but I think it upset some people that the line (laughs) was changed. So it was it was probably a mistake, but uh, (laughs) done to make it fit, you know, not not out of malice, you know.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And uh, then finally, then um, you then you guys then went to Broken Sword Five um, through Kickstarter. Yeah. So uh, because there, you know, we had the whole Tim Schafer thing, who um, a lot of people, I'm sure, know, want to make an adventure game, needed four hundred thousand dollars. He got like three point three million. Uh, became a huge success, and a lot of developers then went through Kickstarter. Um, so. I suppose, you know, why did you guys then decide to go through Kickstarter, and then how did you, what did you think about it versus uh, going with publishers? Uh,
3: well, I mean, it, you know, of, of all the things I've told you about publishers for, for the for the time before the, this game, then you know, if, if someone said here's an alternative, then you know, it was something to consider because <laughs> you know, the, there was a lot of problems with publishers, so you know. We we looked, we saw the obviously what Tim Schafer did and uh, Double Fine and, and it kind of looked like a pretty interesting way to go you know you would be you know you'd be dealing just with your fan base and not with anyone from a publisher telling you what to do and what not to do and and uh, and all the rest of it so on, on the on the on the on the on surface it looks like a very good way to go I, I mean it is a good way to go mm. I think there was but there was only a very narrow window where it would where it would have worked because pretty much another year or so down the line and it would have been much harder i think i think there was a certain novelty factor when when we did it and uh, and also you know there was there was confidence because the double fine had gone before us but also it was it was still quite novel and and the idea that people could fund another w- more or less traditional broken sword game was was quite was quite you know at, at the time it was it was quite compelling so we, we actually did quite well on the kickstarter yeah
1: no it did very well and i was one of the, uh, the the backers you know back kind of immediately i was like oh my god how how much money do i have how much money can i can i put because i was back in university at the time so i didn't have very much so i was kind of scrounging around to see how much can i actually give yeah. Um, but, and again, it went back to your roots kind of, uh, to 2d, although still look quite different, you know, still was like a high definition, yeah. um, 2d, which looked quite nice as well. And then again, it brought, you know, George Stobart and Nico together and uh, sort of the characters from broken sword one as well. Um, so what was, I suppose, you know, why, why did you, I, I can imagine the answer, um, but why did you guys decide to go back in this direction?
3: Well, obviously if we were going to do a Kickstarter it, it broke could all be the thing to do you know because mm. that there was the biggest fan base and uh, and, uh, and you could you could you could you know the, the story that we could do it in a traditional way would would be quite quite attractive I think and um, uh, it, it just looked like the obvious way to go you know I mean there was no there was no way of a big a big publishing deal at that point and certainly you know you would not you'd not want anyone telling you to do it in 2d or 3d or, the, or this way or the other you know you you know you know that if you go to the fans and say it's going to be more or less 2d then then you know that's going to be attractive so it's it's kind of it was kind of a no-brainer i suppose
1: yeah, to go back to Broken Sword, and then as you mentioned in in 2D, and um, did did you guys ever think about going 3D with Broken Sword again through Kickstarter? Or... Uh,
3: no. <laughs> I mean, of course, in a way it was 3D in that the character was 3D modeled. Right. He, he was he was. Um, I mean, the the, the the problem with adventure games, of course, and another problem with the 2D is that you know, when we did the r- original two games um one and two you know they were very low resolution they were like 640 480 screen which is which is tiny you know it's 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 smaller than the smallest android screen you know it's it's a a tiny resolution so when you're drawing when you're drawing all the sprites of george pulling levers and opening doors and and dustbin lids and and all the rest of it you're actually only dealing with a very very small number of pixels now the thing thing is these days you know you you want to be 4k at least so so you, you can't hand draw millions of, of 2d frames of, of animation in in 4k in the way that you could back in back in the day you know so it's 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 not as simple as saying yeah you know we've done a kickstarter we can go back to 2d because because what exactly is the 2d going to be you know is it going to be tiny tiny pixel art or is it going to be you know what, what would be called pixel art now whereas whereas Back in the day, it was the full screen, you know, uh, or are you going to do it in in 4K or double 4K as we actually did it in? So, uh, you, you know, and you, and you you couldn't just do it in 2D anymore. Not not on eight hundred thousand dollars as as we got from the Kickstarter, it would get you nowhere at all. You know, it's, it's it's a fraction of what you'd need to actually do a 4K Broken Sword one. You know, so mm. there's always a compromise, and, and, and the compromise would be to 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 model sprites and then you know the animation is is relatively cheap off the back of that
1: right yeah I, I can imagine and then what what is it like uh working interacting directly with the fans throughout the development of the game what did uh how did you find that were there anything that surprised you or that <laughs> are they particularly liked about it
3: uh, it was pretty good actually i mean uh the kick i, I was one of two people myself and uh, a girl called Nina did did pretty much the the front-facing stuff on, on the Kickstarter campaign and uh you know it, it was a very the actual campaign itself was was the most difficult month i've ever been through i think it was just no sleep and constant you know constant kind of um having to be having to be there and and work this machine that was that was cranking along you know it's incredibly difficult but you know when, you, when you're looking at all those people that are d- super infused it's it's uh it's really quite something so uh, I, I think it was a I think dealing with the fan base and doing the videos all the way through and and doing the updates and stuff. I mean, to me, that was a very positive experience. I I really enjoyed it.
1: No, that that that's great. I mean, I remember, you know, when I, I was watching as well on the the release uh the, um, sort so the party, tell that you had with the online with yeah. people, which um, and of course it it was split into two episodes as well, but um Do you remember what uh why that was? If you're able to to talk about um why it was split into two episodes, because I know uh, Broken uh, what is it? Broken Age did the same.
3: Yeah, I don't know why <laughs> they did it, but I think we did it because we we we'd made the game too big,
1: right? <laughs> uh,
3: so it, there was there was a certain amount of financial pressure on us, I think, because I mean the the 800k seemed like quite a lot of money, but actually. It's it's nothing like that much money at all because when you take off Kickstarter's cuts and you, and you take off the all the reward stuff that, that you're obliged to um, to to produce. Uh, you actually don't have all that much money left. It's it's Kickstarter really is a is a is a marketing thing. You know you, you don't really earn that much money from it for production. So even though they look quite good for us and uh, not, not nearly as good as as Tim Schafer, but uh, so I don't know why he had to split his mm. game so probably the same reason, to be honest. But we were we were we we overpromised and, and uh, our game was too big. So you know it, it seemed like a logical thing to split it into two because then the, the the first part would would help us along the way to to actually finishing the thing, you know.
1: Sure. Well, I mean, things it's worked
3: not, out at the end. <laughs> we we should have made a small game. You know, it should have been Broken Sword of two sized, but actually it was a lot lot bigger than that. <laughs>
1: Well, you know, you're not uh, you're not alone because other developers who I spoke to as well that when they went on Kickstarter that they wanted to make um, a small game, but then they got more money than they expected, so they decided to make a bigger game, and then they said, you know, it's overwhelming that they didn't realize how much work it would be.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, the, when they got more, more money, the, the truth was that they actually probably just about had enough to make the original small game they were talking about all along. You know, that's that's the sure. Lesson but it's very easy to get swept away and, and start. of course with, yeah yeah i mean that's the danger of kickstarter if you overpromise, and then it's it's very hard to actually fulfill it
1: yeah no I, I can imagine and well personally you know the the game as well the storyline for me interested me because my mother is uh spanish she's from the north of spain in bilbao in the basque region and then broken sword five deals with spain it goes to catalonia as well, so I was then very personally invested. Uh, when you know about the civil war, about the paintings, and uh, and about the you know beautiful locations. there a beautiful long shot of the cathedral in Catalonia, which was absolutely gorgeous in the game. Yeah. Um, and the, my final question about Broken Sword is about the series: is that a number of years ago, I read a new story that there was going to be a movie version of Broken Sword, or there were negotiations about a film. Uh, do you know what happened or what uh, the story is with that? Is there any update at all? I mean, imagine that at this stage it's probably not going to happen, especially after doing G-Code came out. Um, but what can you tell us about, about that, if anything at all?
3: Uh, I think, uh, as far as I remember, that many times there were, there were people thinking that it would be a good idea. And the way movies work is that uh, someone someone has the idea of doing a movie about something, and then you, what you do is you kind of build up a a moment momentum by bringing people on board, and then eventually you end up with your team and your 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 stars and your your scriptwriter and all, all of these people that you need to carry the project, and you end up with a studio, and you present it, and the studio say yes we like the project, we'll we'll give you the 50 million dollars whatever or or they say no it's we're not interested in this and and that's probably the end of it so i think i think on numerous occasions different different people had the idea that broken sword was actually something worthwhile and and could make the jump to a movie so you know the first thing they do is they come and see us and and see if we're interested and then we say yep we could be interested if it's the right thing and then you know then they go back to LA or wherever it is that, that, that they they originate from and start talking to other people you know and and, and the idea is that projects will will either sort of snowball forward or or it'll run out of steam and i think it came i think the idea of a broke sword movie it, it 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 kind of got reasonable a reasonable way along the line a couple of times but never quite to the point where someone put the 50 million dollars in you know <laughs> yeah and, there's a lot of that. I mean, that's how movies work. More often than not, you know. Now, if if, if it happened to be that um, you know um Tom Cruise was was a secret <laughs> um, Broken Sword player, then you know all you need, <laughs> it's an easy leap because because whoever's got the idea, whoever's sort of show running the thing, he, he, he rings up Tom and says, Tom, Tom, you know, we're we're we're, we're doing Broken Sword. You know, do, do you want to be in it? And and he goes, Blimey, I you know I, I love Broken Sword. i'm on board then you know you then you go to universal studios and you say look we know we've got this game broken sword it's templars and and all the rest of it and and we've got tom cruise and they go here's oh yeah (laughs) 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 if you don't have tom cruise then in in, or anybody else then then it's a little bit harder and you never quite get there you know it's uh it's the way it goes with films
1: yeah, I would. I'd say it'd be a very different kind of movie if Tom Cruise became part of it. It'd definitely be very action orientated.
3: <laughs> yeah, I can't, I'm, I'm trying to work out how that would have actually worked. But, uh, you know, I mean, be... I'd
1: still watch it, but
3: <laughs> yeah, Tom Cruise is George
1: Stobbard. <laughs> <laughs> Although I, I think Brad Pitt would make a good George Stobart. certainly a younger Brad Pitt. Yeah,
3: yeah. I'd well, think, you know, uh, if, if, if Brad had been a player, then yeah, yeah it could have happened. You know.
1: Yeah, I know that. I mean, yeah, I mean, I know since then we had Da Vinci Code. I mean, I've always thought that Broken Sword was better than Da Vinci Code, and I liked the Da Vinci Code. You know, I thought it was entertaining, but I thought, you know, Broken Sword was just so much more in it. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's a shame, although I think to this day there still hasn't been a great uh, movie adaptation of a video game. So <laughs> uh, we'll only God knows what would have happened um, as well, but also would have been interesting, I think. And well, I think before we finish, then, because you're now no longer part of Revolution, you told me. I saw on your Twitter, you're. Are you part of a company called? Uh, I think I have it here. Is it Shifty Eye Games? Is that correct?
3: Shifty Eye, yeah, in, over in Canada. So uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I dropped out of Revolution sort of early early in the New Beyond project. I, I didn't think it was. Um, quite a project for me so you know i didn't want to, to to go through the through the stress levels of broken sword five again so i thought i'd do something different um you know I've, i'm i'm all, i'm working on my own game which is a, a a roguelike kind of sequel to um the game i wrote back in 85 obsidian with with also a lot of a lot of influences from steel sky um some things in that that i quite liked and thought would would have some some legs in a, different, in a slightly different interpretation. So, um, you know, I'm working on that game, which I've, I've got high hopes for. Um, but uh, these things are quite, quite lengthy and difficult to do. So, you know, to, to earn a living, I'm, I'm also working at Shifty. And uh, they're, they're a very good bunch of people that I really like. So, um, you know, I'm helping them write a new game, which the, which we're all working on can't really talk about yet. But um, there'll be something something probably early next year, something like that
1: interesting and c- can you say if it's uh, an adventure game or another type of game or can you say nothing at all or
3: it's more it's more adventure, stealthy sort of sort of stealthy-ish
1: interesting and then do you know how how far along you are in development of, of uh, the obsidian sequel or you mentioned it takes a long time
3: it does take a long time um it's it's basically a, a, a more of a, a tech it's at a tech tech proof of concept level really it's not it's not a game as such but it's it's got uh it's got a lot of the things i want so it's got interaction it's got a bit of a bit of, bit of action it's got um droids and my my big thing is what i liked in in steel sky was right at the beginning when you, you have the jelly board in your inventory and you, and you you take the Joey board and, and slot it into a junky old broken robot shell, and Joey comes back to life and then throughout the game you know you 're swapping the the Joey board around and he, yeah he yes. do different things and, and i I really love that concept, so you know the, effectively that's the, the the heart the core of my game that i 'm writing is is that is that concept of, of building bots out of different components and slotting them back together and bringing them to life and then having them help you and uh, and this sort of thing but i I'm kind of saying this is my central core feature and I'm and I'm and then I'm going to build a game from that you know rather than it being sort of one little puzzle
1: sure okay well that sounds sounds interesting and do you plan on releasing it on steam then or pc when it's out there
3: it will be yep yeah, it will be steam um I like the switch as well so you know maybe maybe switch um pc steam probably ios as well you know I, I'm, I'm big I'm big <laughs> fan of doing doing all platforms that you possibly can
1: Great. Well, I look forward to trying it out when it's released then. And this was my my very final question. I forgot to mention at the top of the the episodes of the interview that uh, this is celebrating 30 years of Revolution. Don't know if I actually mentioned that. Um, because yep. it's it's is it the longest running adventure game studio? Uh, I think over
3: overall compared to any other studio. Uh, it, it probably it, is adventure games. Yeah, I mean there won't be many studios that are. 30 no. Years. Oh, it's, uh, i mean there are brand names but you know you know you can pick a brand like atari and it's it's swapped hands ever so many times exactly these things get uh, sold don't they but an actual games company that's that's i they mean were
1: working and i mean
3: nintendo you know mm, yeah
1: but then a revolution you know, you've basically stuck to your guns you still made story rich games all the way through i know you've made some changes but you haven't really changed core which was the, um you know gameplay which was story and then puzzles which have been in all your games uh, basically so
3: yeah um and, uh, and i don't think that story is is, is over yet you know i mean mm-hmm. uh, I, obviously i don't know much about beyond the Steel sky but i think i think revolution and and uh, and charles will will continue to look at that genre and see what they can do with it. You know, I don't think it's uh, a a done deal at all or the end of the end of the story. I think I think I think those things we were interested in at Revolution are still are still there to be developed and and turn into something. You know, so, you know, when I know Charles is very busy at the moment, but I'll I'll Mm. go go and have a chat with him soon and see what he's thinking, you know, and uh, and uh, and sort of uh, see see what he might be thinking about for the future, because I think there's a lot of scope still for that kind of game.
1: No, definitely. And then you yourself, I don't know if you can answer the question, enough, but if Charles then said, hey, Tony, we're thinking of making a Broken Sword 6 or any other game, uh, would you be interested in going back to work on a, another of those games or is it still too early to tell? <laughs>
3: Uh, it's probably too early to tell. I mean, I don't, I don't know what Charles's plans actually are, but, uh, <laughs> but I think at the back of his mind, you might be thinking of Broken Sword six, but he might be thinking of something completely new. And 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 you know, it'd be it'd be nice to go back to you know where it was right at the beginning. You know, to start with nothing, as we did with Lord of the Temptress, and 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 kind of say, what can we do? You know, blank sheet of paper. What can we do? I mean, that would be an interesting. That would be an interesting place to be, you know, when you've got a history and and you've developed lots of things and you know what works, what doesn't. But uh, to to start again, you know, it would be it would be interesting. Yeah, I know I'm all for it because
1: I know a lot of fans of you guys. Uh, I I see even when Charles is talking about Beyond the Steel Sky, and I see people still are asking about Broken Sword Six. When is it coming out? Is it coming out? But I'm like, I mean, I would be here for Broken Sword Six, but I would also really like it if uh, well, both you and him are whoever would make a new game, I'd be like, mm, that'd be very interesting. I'd be very, very interested to see what you guys come up with, you know, starting again, like Lure the Temptress or even in Cold Blood to see where you, where you guys go in future. Yeah.
3: Um, well, I, I mean, I, I keep, as I say, I, I keep thinking about adventure games and uh, it, it'd be nice. It'd be nice to have another crack at it at some point.
1: And, and then after, you know, what there any of the games that you made that there's, your favorite that you worked on, or that you have the best memories working on? You think that worked best? Is there any one in particular?
3: I think I'd say Steel Sky.
1: Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like just worked uh, for you then, programming-wise as well. And
3: yeah, I mean, I've forgotten. You see, it's 30 years ago, nearly. <laughs> I have forgotten how hard it was. And now I just remember. Um, <laughs> I, just, I just remember the end result, which is just this nice little, little perfectly formed game, you know
1: yeah no i mean definitely it, it has I, I think it's gone from being a cult favorite to just being a fan favorite <laughs> it, that it has quite a lot of people who really really love it and um and who really who wanted and use a sequel to binged to the sky and we're finally getting it now um yeah. sh- shame you're not working on it but still um well,
3: well, I'll get to play it then
1: yeah i look forward to to comparing as well um um well thank you very much i think that's all the questions that i have where where can people find you online so if they wanted to find out what you're working on or what you're doing uh, where can people find out
3: twitter i mean i'm I'm on twitter i I don't sometimes i say a lot sometimes i don't um um, but i'm always on twitter so and if anyone contacts me i'll I'll always respond to them so uh, yeah it's as good a place as any that's great well i think again
1: that's all the questions that i have i know and thank you so much and it's been nearly two hours that i've kept you here going back over um you know 30 years and plus of uh, making making games but um i said thank you for all the work that you've done what for all the work you're doing um you know i'm looking forward to finding out what you'll be working on next and uh and yeah i hope to to speak to you again so is there anything that you would like to mention before we finish um i know put you on the spot but is there anything that you would like to say to people listening or anything at all
3: uh well thank you for playing the games really you know it's all about it's all about the players Uh, you know we make we make games for the players so uh, as long as people enjoy it that's that's all that matters
1: yeah i think we can safely say that people did and are enjoying so well thank you very much tony and the very best of luck with your future projects
3: thank you very much
1: So that was my interview with Tony Warner, I hope you enjoyed it and a huge thank you once again to Tony for very kindly giving me so much time to speak about his career and about Revolution and about the games that they made. It was a real, real honour to speak to him and I hope to speak to him again soon. So now that is it for this interview but there is still plenty, plenty more to come. Next week, I will be speaking with Steve Ince, who was one of the lead designers at Revolution, one of the lead writers and producers on uh, Beneath the Steel Sky and the Broken Sword series. He also wrote a book about writing narrative in games, and he's worked on many other games as well that he'll be speaking about. And so that will be next week. And before that, on Tuesday, I'll be releasing my interview with none other then Charles Cecil. Yes, Charles Cecil was on the podcast. And I did ask him some questions, apart from, you know, why are you so great? I did ask him some specific questions as well. And he's kind enough to to answer as well. So that will be this coming Friday. So um, still plenty more to look forward to. So until then, thank you as always for joining me. And uh, we'll speak then this Friday. So until then, take care, everyone. Bye